Um, I'm really excited to be sharing with you today. I'm going to be talking about Mary Magdalene. Um, her story is an awesome resurrection story. And so we're going to get into her in just a little bit. But I wanted to first just talk about this word resurrection and what does that mean. So when I think of resurrection, I think of um, redeemed, renewed, born again, made alive. That's what comes to my mind with resurrection. And, um, but I want, let's go to the scriptures, okay? So we're going to go in John 11, 23 through 25. Let me preface first. This is Jesus talking um, to Martha before he raises um, um, her brother Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on, on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So in this passage, Jesus was talking about a spiritual life and death. He did want to raise Martha's expectations for, for the physical resurrection of Lazarus. That's true. He wanted her to raise her faith and, and um, to partner with him in, in believing that that could happen. But he's really talking about a spiritual resurrection because this was a foreign concept to them. And so he's trying to show them that if you are with Jesus and if you have Jesus with you, you can have a spiritual rebirth. You don't have to wait until the last days to, to um, have a physical resurrection and a physical rebirth. So one thing that I think is important to know about that is that a spiritual resurrection, which is what we're kind of talking about today, is just as supernatural as a physical resurrection. We often think about being raised from the dead. That's the ultimate miracle, right? I mean, can you think of a better miracle? But did you know every time someone accepts Christ into their heart and they're reborn, that is just as big of a supernatural experience. There's no other way to explain something in you changing, your whole life changing, just by uttering a prayer than for it to be supernatural, so if you've accepted Christ in this room, you've already experienced a supernatural encounter with Jesus. You've had that moment. And um, so let's, let's look at, though, what that kind of means. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So old things have passed away. All things have become new. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. That is resurrection in a nutshell. The old things are gone and everything is new. In your own life, if you've accepted Christ into your life, he, then you may have an experience like that where you're like, I was this way, and then I accepted Christ, and everything changed for me. We talked about that um, a few weeks ago. Can people, um, they said their resurrection, um, their stories. I used to be in fear. I used to be 
in, in, in bondage or doubt. And then I accepted Christ and everything changed for me. So the old things are washed away. And then we had our baptisms, which are the, um, um, the symbolic gesture of everything is old, it passes away, and we're born again as a new creation. So that's resurrection. Now, I'm sure a lot of us here believe in God. Maybe you've asked him into our heart. There's some of you that may still be questioning. Maybe you, you haven't done that. But some people ask God into their hearts, and they get saved, but they're still, they're still walking around in their, um, their spiritual body, their old spiritual bodies. They really aren't renewed and revived yet. Have you known people like that? Maybe you have felt that way at times. Like, um, I know I'm a Christian, but I, I don't feel any different. I don't feel any better. Things aren't really going for me the way I thought they would. Um, so I want to say, though, that you cannot have an encounter with Jesus and not be transformed. You cannot truly have an encounter with Jesus and not be transformed. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not feeling that, that you have never before or something like that. But when we really encounter the presence of God, it changes us and it does something. Now, our response is a big part of that about how we're going to live, right? We still have to respond a certain way. And so I'm not saying if you don't um, feel that way that you're not saved or you have to be saved again. That's not what I'm saying. If you've accepted Christ, you are saved. You are a believer. Congratulations. You're going to heaven. Everything's great. But sometimes we do that, and then we go on and live our life, and it's kind of like a marriage. So how many of you are married in here? Raise your hand. Okay. So did you all say, I do at the altar or somewhere? At some point, did you say, I agree to this? You were not forced into marriage, right? So when we say, I do at the altar, if that is the only time that you say, I do to your marriage and to your spouse, you're not going to have a very good marriage. If you are married and you have a successful marriage, you know that every day you're saying, I do. In some way, you're saying, I choose you. I choose to love you. I choose to be committed to you. I'm devoting my life to you. I choose to walk with you. And you're doing that every day. You're dying to your individual self, and you're saying, I'm a part of this couplehood, and I choose this, right? So we do that. But our walk with God is no different. So many of us have an encounter or an experience at the altar with God, and we say, I do. We um, pray the prayer. We do the Romans Road depending on which church you grew up in, and we accept Christ into our lives. And then some people, that's it. You might have a, a, um, um, a honeymoon period where you feel like, I'm a Christian now, and everything feels pretty new and exciting, and maybe it lasts a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe a couple of years. But then you start to lose a little bit of that. And it's because you've stopped saying I do continually to Christ, to this relationship that you agreed to be in. So when you accept him into your life, you're saying, I agree to be in a relationship with you. I've decided I'm no longer an individual, just like in a marriage. I've decided we're t I'm a part of you. You're walking with me, Lord, and I agree to this. So that relationship requires a continual renewing. It requires that you continually lay down your life and you pick up your cross and you go with him daily, daily. And if you don't, you will find yourself ensnared or back in the bondage or back in the, the well, 
This is, I guess this is all Christianity is. So I, I want to encourage you, and I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying that to give you hope that your spiritual story isn't over yet. Your spiritual story can have a second chapter, can have a new life, and your spiritual story isn't over. We just have to continually say, God, I do. I do. Every single day, I choose you. And that means I'm coming to you with my problems. I'm coming to you with my hurts. I'm laying down. I'm coming to you with my own plans. That's, I think, our biggest one. We really want to make our plans. And it's okay. I mean, like, we're people. God gave us that desire in us to create this little life for ourselves. You know, I, I always, I think people are really funny and interesting, even though I'm a people too. Um, but how we kind of create these little, these boxes we live in, and we gather a bunch of stuff, and we put it in our little box house, right? We like to have our stuff. We like to feel comfortable. We like to live in our spaces. So it's okay to make plans for your life. It's okay to do those things. God created you that way. But what we need to do is include him in these decisions. We need to let him be like with your partner. You don't, again, if you, have, if you want to have a good marriage, you don't make big decisions without your partner. You just don't. It's a mistake. You will pay for it at some point if you make big decisions without your partner. Well, God is our partner, and so we have to kind of look at it the same way. We don't do these big things or even sometimes small things without our partner, without God with us. And so I kind of just wanted to use that analogy of a relationship and think about saying I do every day to God. I choose you. I walk with you. You are my God. And um, because without that, we can't have a resurrection, right? We can't be made new and whole. And, and you, 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 could, you could feel like you get resurrected daily or, or you know, I mean, it, it can happen all the time. I'm not, this isn't like a one and done thing. Your walk with God is not a one and done it is a renewal. It's a constant. It is every day. <clears throat> so um, when I say our spiritual journey isn't over yet, um, I just want to encourage you with that because God never turns his back on us. He never walks away from us. He never decides that we are unqualified because of our past. And that's, that's a big one. I think that's what holds a lot of people up. They feel like, well, yeah, God saved me, but he can't really use me. I'm not that great, you know? I mean, as prideful as people get deep down, I think most of us are pretty insecure, and we feel like, I, I don't know if I can actually do that. I'm not really that great. But God never disqualifies us because of anything we've ever done or any of our past. And a really great example of that is with Mary Magdalene. So I love her story, and so that's why I'm happy to talk about her. We love the Marys. So is anyone in here named Mary? No Marys? Okay, well, if you lived in Bible times, you would, half of you would be named Mary because you're Mary, you're Mary, you're Mary, you're Mary. Because they're all Marys. Like, if you look in the Bible, you're like, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the wife of Sozo, Mary from Magdalene. I mean, they're all Marys. So we don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene because guess what? They didn't write a lot about women in the Bible. It's a shocker, right? I don't know what happened. But we do know some good things. We know that Based on her name, she was from a place called Magdala. So Magdalene, I don't think, is just her last name. You know how they did everything weird in the Bible? Yeah. So 
she was from Magdala. Um, we know that she, along with an, um, a group of other awesome women, joined with Jesus and the disciples, and, and they followed him around. Did y'all know that it wasn't just the 12 disciples that followed Jesus around? There was a big group of people. He had those 12 that probably went everywhere with him and were real close. But when he would go from town to town, there, 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 there were probably bigger groups that would follow him from one town to the next small town, and then maybe they drop off there. But, you know, different groups would go around with him. Well, there was a group of women who walked with him and the disciples, and, and they served them out of their own means. So we know this is true because 12 dudes walking around ain't going to be able to take care of themselves. <laughs> Very good. No offense to all the 12 fishermen, but somebody was darning those clothes and fixing the sandals, and cooking the meals, and doing all this stuff. So there was a group of women that went with them, and they ministered to them, and they helped them out. And they did this, the Bible says, out of their own means, which I think is really amazing and awesome. They, they provided. So they were really um, important in the ministry of Jesus. So we, we can thank you. You can look around in your own life and see um, the women in your life and in this church who are providing the breakfast and providing these, these things that we don't often see or think about or a holiday. Hello, holiday time. Mom's in the kitchen all day. She's slaving. Everyone's having a great time. Don't realize all the work, the hours, the day before she had to start prepping. So we think that people in our lives, not just women, men too, but generally, and here it was definitely women culturally, who come up and provide um, the sustenance and all the things that help us really do the, the work that God's called us to do. And so these women were pretty awesome. We also know about Mary that she was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. She and the other Marys were also at the foot of the cross. And everyone else left. Even, all the disciples fled. They were afraid for their lives. So even after they all left, Mary stayed. Mary was there, and she watched him be taken down from the cross. And she, she, um, um, she followed them to to the burial place because she didn't want to lose sight of her Lord. And so Mary stayed. She observed his burial, and she witnessed the resurrected Jesus. In fact, we'll read in a minute that she was the first one to really see the resurrected Jesus. So what an honor. Mary has a very special place in the Bible. She was the first person to see Jesus resurrected. So all of that sounds amazing. It tells us a little bit about who the, um, the redeemed and the restored Mary was. But before all of that, Mary was the lady possessed by seven demons. So she had, she had a history, right? She had a backstory that was pretty severe and pretty strong. So I'm going to look in Luke 18. Uh, one, no, scratch. Luke 8, 1 through 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with them, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So I can imagine that these women felt so grateful and thankful to Jesus because it says that he healed them of incurable diseases, cast demons out. They're, they 
had a hard life. Things weren't going well. And then Jesus came on the scene and he transformed things for them. And I think it was out of this gratitude that Jesus saw them. This was a time in, in, in the culture where they would have been, been dismissed. They were sick. They were possessed. I mean, there's some problems. And they wouldn't have been, been really looked at. But Jesus saw them. He saw them for who they were. Um, and he didn't deem them unworthy. He didn't ignore them. He healed them. He restored and redeemed them. But not only that, this is, I think, the coolest part, is Jesus invited them to join in on his mission. So he invited them to go with him. He invited them to partner with him to spread the gospel and to share the good news. That's what he does for us. Jesus is inviting you. He invites you to join with him. He invites you to partner with him. He invites you to help him spread the gospel, to join the mission of Christ. He redeems us, he restores us, and then he invites you in. He says, hey, will you join my team? And that's what he did for these, these women. And they're no different than us. Um, he wants to walk with you. He wanted to walk with them. He wants to give your life meaning and give you a place at at. The, um, the table. He says that you are worthy and you have a place. And that's what he did for these ladies. You are worthy. You have a place in the body of Christ. So we can all, we can all agree Mary had some problems. Seven demons is a lot of demons. So um, probably many people had already decided she's unworthy. She is someone we, we don't even mess with her because I'm not going to mess with someone as seven demons, right? So Maybe she had uh, allowed these demons in because of her own sins, her own decisions. Maybe um, abuses had, had been done against her and people had sinned against her. Maybe there's generational issues. We don't know why Mary had these demons, but she did. And she needed her story to be changed. She needed resurrection, right? She needed the old thing to die and the new thing to come to life. She needed Jesus. So you may not have seven demons, right? Nobody? Nobody? No seven demons? Okay. So you may not be in that position that Mary was in or something that was so bad that seems hopeless or unhelpful. But guess what? You need Jesus too. You need Jesus just as much as the person who has all of these things going on in their life. We all need Jesus. We all need him to change our story because without him, what are we? We're just humans. And humans aren't, aren't going to go the right way without Jesus. We all need him. Y'all know the phrase, uh, there but for the grace of God go I? I say that a lot in my own life, especially if I'm getting judgy about anybody else. That's a good time to be like, you know what? That could be me. That could totally be me. So um, you, I'm not saying like our choices don't make a difference. You making good choices to obey God are going to help you have a good life. So you do have a choice in your life. But if you have a good life, it's not because you deserve a good life. And someone who doesn't deserves a bad life. And I just want to make that very clear. We all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We all could be a Mary we all could be in, in this position. So yes, make good choices. Follow the Lord. He will guide you. He will lead you. Your life will probably be better. Well, it will be better. But it's only because of him. 
It's only by him. So we have no place to look at anyone and think, well, their life, right? But I'm walking with Jesus. I'm on staff at the church, so pretty good, you know? We, we, we don't get to do that. We all fall short. And um, we didn't earn his grace. He gave it to us freely. Go to James 1, 14 through 18. This says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we ought to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I think this is a beautiful scripture. He loves us so much that he gives us good and perfect gifts. Every good thing you have in your life, give God the glory for. Praise him. We are very blessed. You've already got a huge advantage just being born here. You know, we are just very blessed. So every good gift in your life, give God the glory and praise him for that. Um, And I think Mary and the other women who chose to devote their lives to follow him and to support him out of their own means, it's because of this. It's because they realized that God's goodness is what blessed them and redeemed them. They are so grateful. Don't you know that they have gratitude? They were healed. They were delivered. They were redeemed. And then he asked them to join his staff. Like, she got to be on Jesus' staff, essentially, coming from this lowly place where everyone dismisses you and then getting to follow Jesus and serve him. So before Mary was resurrected, she was unworthy in the eyes of people. She was unqualified. But after she was healed and, and freed, which would have been enough, right? Just being healed and freed would have been enough. But she was actually given the highest honor, not only of serving Jesus and following him, but of getting to be the first one to see him resurrected. So Mary has a beautiful story. Um, This next passage is really long, and you've been listening to me for a long time, and my voice is giving out a little bit. So I guess I anticipated this, and I asked my friend David Morgan to come up and read it. He promised he'll behave and actually do what I'm asking him to do. But we know David. <laughs> John 20, 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started running to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) Me and Darren were talking about that earlier. Um, He bent over and looked at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. (laughs) Slow. Uh, He said he saw and he believed. 
they still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, you have carried him away. Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascended to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Thank you, Dave. What I really love about this passage is the intentionality on Jesus's part that Mary be the first one to see him. Okay, so if, if, if you notice, when she went, she wasn't there, so she ran to get the disciples. They got there ahead of her. Jesus could have been there when they got there. He could have thought, hey, I'm waiting for the boys to get here. I'm, I'm waiting for my disciples, and then I'll show up. They looked in the tomb. They didn't see anything. Jesus still didn't show up, and then they left, and then Mary stayed. She stayed and she wept. There's something to be said for staying. And if that's like all you get out of today, then I want you, there's something to be said for staying and being the last one there and waiting for not giving up, for not losing hope, for waiting. That's what Mary did. She waited at the foot of the cross until he came down and the disciples left at the tomb, and Mary waited, and she stayed. And when she stayed, she looked in the tomb then, after the disciples already had, and they went back, and she saw the angels. So she was rewarded, right? She, she was the one who saw the angels. Jesus intended this. This wasn't just because of anything. He intended to reveal himself to Mary. He wanted to honor Mary. He trusted Mary. And so she sees the angels, and then she's the first to see him. Mary owed Jesus everything, and we owe Jesus everything. I don't think Mary knew what else to do except to be where Jesus was. She didn't want to be anywhere he wasn't. She didn't see him there, but that's the last place she had seen him, so she wasn't going to leave. Mary just wanted to be in the presence of her king, of her Lord. And that is what I want us to walk away with today, to say, do I have that heart? That I just want to be where you are, God. I just want to wait to hear from you. I want to wait till I see you. I want to wait until you tell me what to do, till you move in my life. I want to be with you. And that's, that's the heart of Mary. And it's a beautiful, 
It's a beautiful example to us. And Jesus rewarded her with that. He said, I will show up for you. What an honor. To me, one of the greatest honors to see the resurrected Lord. And God used Mary and trusted Mary to be the one to spread the news that he had risen, which is huge. This was the woman possessed by seven demons who the world looked at and thought was unworthy. And she received this amazing honor to be the first to really spread the good news. He is risen. He is Lord. And Mary had such a heart of gratitude. I, I know that that's what kept her there. She was so thankful. She thought, I have nothing without you, Lord. We have so much, and it's really easy for our society, the Western world, just in general for us to feel like, I don't really need God. I don't really need religion or faith. I don't really need that. I kind of got everything taken care of. It's hard for us to feel like we desperately need the Lord, right? Sometimes we have to be, have terrible things happen before we recognize that. Oftentimes it's when everything falls apart that we're finally like, I really need God. I need God to fix all my problems. But that's really not what God's here for. He does save us. He does redeem us. He does fix things. But we need to be at a place where we just desperately need him. And we say, I'm not leaving. I'm going to wait. I'm going to stay here until God meets me, until I see my Lord. I think this is the hardest thing for us to do, is to come to him with a desperation, even when our lives are doing pretty good. But that's what God wants from us. And so that's where I, I want us, I want to see us as a, as a church, just have that hunger, that desire to say, I do need you. I don't have everything. I owe it all to you, Lord. And to have that heart that Mary had. And we wonder, like, well, can God use me? But, you know, God uses all of us, right? He uses all. God is no respecter of persons based on our gender, on our race, on our social status. God doesn't care about any of that, about your job, whether you're on staff at the church or you hardly ever go to church. God wants to use all of his people. He wants to do what he did with them. He wants to say, join with me. Join with me to spread the gospel. Join with me to deliver the good news. He he invites us in to do that. So Mary, I think... um, did what she did because of her heart of gratitude to the Lord. And that overwhelming gratitude that she had, it revealed itself in love and, and, and devotion to him. So we've said before, love looks like something. And in this story, love looks like redemption and resurrection. Love looks like devotion and faithfulness. And that's what Mary had. I'm going to ask the, um, Adrian to come on up for just the worship team. But I want us to, as we think about Mary Magdalene and her redemption, the story she had of being transformed and renewed, and then think of our own life. So you may not be as bad off as Mary was, but you need Jesus too, and we all do. And you, 
may think I'm good, but we can always grow closer. We can always increase our desire for him and our faithfulness to him. Now, some of you in here, maybe you've never asked him into your heart, or maybe you have, but you just, it kind of, the honeymoon wore off pretty quick, and you're just feeling like, "Mm, I just feel kind of like everybody else. And so we need to renew that. We need to say, I do, again, at the altar for him. God, I do. I do join with you. I do join my life with you. I join my plans with you. I'm asking you to take over, you to be my my person here that I run everything by, the, the, the one who helps guide me, who leads me, who's with me at all times. So we need to say, I do again. 